This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Behind the Rose, where Bachelor Nation meets country music and everything in between. Here's your host, Blake Horseman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Rose podcast. I'm your host, Blake Horseman, here with my buddy, as usual, Eric Bradley. And today, back by popular demand, we are chatting with life coach Stefan Lovegrove. We talked to Stefan about growing up in what he considers a cult, about how getting kicked out of his home at an early age ended up being the biggest blessing of his life, and how Stefan got into life coaching. But first, yeah, we had a big weekend this weekend here in Denver. The MLB All-Star Weekend here in Denver, it was uh, it was a good time. Big pass weekend, big weekend ahead. There's a lot going on. I feel like we always have quite a bit going on. It's funny. I don't think people really, like, our, our job starts on, like, Thursday, Friday nights. That's, like, our Mondays. <laughs> exactly. So this is, like, our weekend. Yep. This, yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, I'm, yeah, except I'm in Vegas right except, now. Except speaking. for, like, if you could see Blake is coming to you live <laughs> from the Versace mansion. <laughs> The suite I'm in is insane, guys. We'll talk a little bit more about it next week. But Way to be humble about it. 16,000 square feet. I mean, it's not because of me. I can tell you that. 16,000 square feet. But uh, yeah, All-Star Week in Denver was a blast. I mean, there were so many people in town. Yeah, where do you start? Yeah, exactly. Like, what, um, what did we do Friday? <laughs> nothing. I binged Manifest all night long. I couldn't even leave the house. Eric's hooked on Manifest. I, I binged it about a month ago already. I have two episodes left in season three. So I've watched all three seasons. In since season Friday. three? Oh. Yeah. Oh, you're further than me. All right. Because I binged the first two and I haven't really watched much of the third. So yet. Once I start, I can't stop. It's like anything. <laughs> like I could... But like you were saying, the, the acting's not even that good. The acting is horrible. <laughs> but the storyline is so good. I can't believe I'm still watching it, but it's like I can't turn away. And word on the street is Netflix is picking up season four and five, hopefully. Fingers crossed. So we'll see. I need answers now. Yeah. Well, I kind of hope it doesn't get picked up because like I want a new show. <laughs> but I, I got to have answers, man. It can't just end like that. Now they're on Noah's Ark. So <laughs> you guys got to go check out Manifest on Netflix and NBC. So yeah, Friday we stayed in because I was a little sick. Eric was binging Manifest. Apparently you and Elise kind of got caught up in all the SWAT team action. and Yeah, that was so, for those of you that didn't hear... Shout out to this housemaid who saved God knows how many lives. Hotel maid, I should say. Hotel maid. She found a thousand rounds of ammo. 16 guns. Body armor uh, at a hotel downtown right next to the stadium. And it sounds like 
they were going to try mass shooting. Sounds like there was going to be... Which is basically catty corner to where you were at that new McGregor Square. Yes, right where I was. Yeah, me and Elise were downtown when all that kind of happened. We saw the SWAT team. We were like, what the hell's happening? Um, so yeah, it was Friday night and then Saturday. Awesome, amazing, another... Yeah, how, uh, how crazy is that the Grizz opened up for you? Yeah, if you guys don't know who Grizz is, he's a very famous DJ. He decided to come in, you know, open up for me and my high spirits. He didn't really do that, guys. He didn't really open up. Well, he did open up for me, but... <laughs> he was he was he was bouncing around to like a bunch of different bars. Um, he's a local guy here in Denver, but the show at My High Spirits was, I think, the craziest crowd we've had yet. Record breaking in far as numbers. Definitely the best crowd Denver has showed up for. Yeah, yeah, yeah best crowd for Denver for sure. We had a ton of people. You know, obviously a lot of celebs in town for the celebrity softball game. Yeah, how random. Ross Butler, who ends up being like the nicest human being yeah. I have ever met. Shout out to Ross Butler. That man is awesome. We had so much fun together all weekend. He was on stage with, with me fucking jumping yeah. up and down. And he was awesome. Now that you're out of town, he's texting me, hey, what's going on tonight last night? Yeah, so I, like, <laughs> and I'm passed out. <laughs> he's one of us for sure. He likes to rage, dude. Because I hung with him again Saturday or Sunday and again, again Monday. Aoki, a lot of a lot of guest appearances there, a lot of celebrity guest cake throwing. It looked like all over the place. Jeez, Steve Aoki, I was on stage with Steve Aoki, and it was it was so much fun just to see the his interaction with the crowd was incredible. Yeah, we had DK Metcalf throwing cake, almost breaking necks, throwing cakes so hard at people's faces. Kane Brown got out there. Kane Brown went out there. Ross, is it is it Melton? Melton. Um, there was another one. Oh, and Anthony Mackie, Captain America. It was a crazy weekend. It's actually now I think about it, like so much happened. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Work As I work in sports, like no major sport does all-star weekend like the MLB. That is the one thing they have on all the other three major sports. Major League Baseball all-star game. Like if you get a chance to do it or if it ever comes to your city, take part in every activity. Go out. Yeah. There's so much to do. Yeah. And I went to the Home Run Derby. And if you ever get a chance to go to the Home Run Derby, it's amazing. I knew it was going to be fun, but seeing these guys hit bombs like 500 yard home runs was incredible live. that first round matchup between alonzo and salvador perez alonzo hit 35 and salvi hit like 28 29 and he lost and he would have beaten anyone else in the first round but yeah hell of a weekend another one coming up i guess we can announce it now we'll be uh, out at faster horses this weekend yes. up in brooklyn michigan first time in michigan for me you've never been to michigan no of you oh yeah quite a few times Super pumped. Honestly, I looked again. Probably one of the best country music lineups I've ever seen. This, Yeah, this lineup blows away like Stagecoach, any of the other, yeah. I mean, Country yeah. Jam, yeah, it's Tortuga. top to bottom. I mean, it's, it's pretty loaded. One of the best lineups I've ever seen. It's going to be an insane, another insane weekend. So if you guys are out there, Blake will be doing some stuff with DJ Silver at the after parties on site there. It's going to be fun. Play with Silver a little bit. Everybody I've talked to says Faster Horses is one of the craziest music festivals of the year. So... It's going to be a good time for sure. Yeah. All right. And now our chat with Stefan Lovegrove, Behind the Rose. Thanks for coming on, Stefan. Yeah. Glad to be back. I knew I was coming back at some point, but this is real <laughs> soon and I'm not mad about it. Back by popular demand, man. We had to do a real episode with you. Yeah. And not just a recap. America needs to get to know you a little bit more. Listen, I love a recap though, but I'm here for the real episode as well. 
We had a lot of people slide in and be like, you know, have you heard his story? And then, you know, Eddie was doing some research during our episodes. Like, do you know his story? Like, it's incredible. So glad to have you back, man. We can really get to know you um, because, yeah, I'm excited to hear your story and kind of what you do and how you got into what you're doing now. We have a lot of Bachelor Nation connections. You do, I should say. I have a lot of Bachelor Nation connections. And people were like, how does he know everybody in Bachelor Nation? That was like a DM I kept getting, you know? No, it's a, it's a legitimate question. Um, what I think is funny is like two, well, two things. One. I have always had like a very random group of people over the years, just because by virtue of what I do, which obviously we'll get into, but like the first five clients that I ever had back in 2015, I had a lawyer, a healthcare executive, a TV host, a mega church pastor, and an actress. So it was oh a God. wild mix. <laughs> and, and I learned from that. I don't like corporate America quite as much as my entrepreneurs and my entertainment people. So, you know, you learn as you go. But there's always been this very random mix of people that I work with. And so it's tricky because there's NDAs and there's confidentiality. And so on that side of things, I'm never going to put a client on blast. But that is a lot of the picture of like, random musician, random, you know, film person. So there's always been that element. And then especially in LA, I feel like so much of life is relationships and the bachelor world just snowballs. And so it's like, you were, you went for this person's birthday and then you met this person and this person, and then it just builds. And then it's, you know, it's in your life and it's a weird thing. Yeah. That's actually a good point. And people who go on the show are very oftentimes extroverts and easy to get along with and enjoy meeting people and enjoy going to parties. So I guess I would make sense why if you went to like literally it would take one party and all of a sudden you feel like you know half about your nation. Like I get how that could happen easily. Right. Well, and that's the thing we were talking before we started recording about San Diego, right? And I feel like LA was still so shut down and slowly starting to reopen, coming out of the worst of the pandemic in California. There were some friends that were like, let's do a trip. San Diego weekend. We're going to do it right. And that was my first like coming out of quarantine activity, uh, you know, seven San Diego trips ago. But again, (laughs) it just snowballed. You meet people, you hit it off, you know, and here we are. Was that the one that everybody went to that we didn't go to? Was that that weekend? Yeah, we missed out on that one. Yeah. Okay, whichever one it was that you all were supposed to come to, I still stand by that you should have come. I, there's no way I could have made it. There's no way I could have made it. Either. We were like five weekends deep. I think that was the weekend after Nash, our Nashville trip. Yeah, it was. Yeah, there's no way I could have made it, man. So, man, I want to get into kind of, so obviously, you know, you're a life coach now and you work kind of like you said with a lot of different people. Was that something you always thought you're going to go into? Like what was growing up, you know, whatever that was, what did you see yourself going into like career path wise? Yeah. Um, no, it was definitely not something I always thought. I could just be like a five-year-old, um, like, I'm going to be a life coach. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no, no. A big, obviously, element of my story, my parents are in a fundamentalist religious cult. Obviously, they don't see it that way, as people in cults generally don't. But that they know that I say that on air. I don't give up. Whatever. We can cuss, right? I didn't think about this. And then I saw... Say whatever you I, want. Yeah. I describe the cult as like, a little bit of Footloose, like the town in Footloose. So no modern music, okay. no dancing, no any of that kind of stuff, no movie theaters, but also like some really heavy, you know, documentary cult kind of dynamics that people are familiar with where there's mind control and you're shamed if you leave and don't trust information about us from the news and like 
a lot of that weird, scary stuff as well. And do they speak in like tongues and, and all that? No, they, they believe that people who speak in tongues are frauds. But then again, don't, don't feel no. bad if that's you because they believe most Christians in the world and most people are frauds. So they, you, they, they are the only Amen. ones to be trusted. Amen. <laughs> we'll be right back. Uh, but anyway, so that was the world I grew up in. And what's interesting is I think there were two things about it that were shaping the path I ended up on. One is I really did want to do something that helped people. And I always knew that. And I had this sense that like this world, these options, this path that's being presented to me is not going to work for me long-term. And I figured out I was gay at a young age. And I was like, that's really going to be an issue for this. So that was kind of brewing within me of like, how am I going to help people? How am I going to do something that makes a difference? But I don't think it's this. And I don't even know if it's religion as a whole. And so I was processing all of that. But I was also witnessing with my parents, with everyone around me, that what people believe really shapes their entire life. And so I feel like that was planting the seeds for what I do now, even at an early age, because I would see people like, you're a smart person. You're an intelligent person and you bought into something and you now believe it and it has changed and shaped and like transformed your entire life for better or worse. And so I think that was kind of really getting me thinking about even at an early age, like, you know, people's beliefs shape their life. And if you change your beliefs, you really can change your life. And so anyway, that was like my little life coach yeah. uh, in the making realization as a kid, I guess. What age, when you say young age, like what age would, were you starting to kind of like realize what was going on around you? Yeah, I, I want to say around 12. It was fifth grade, sixth grade, right on the cusp of elementary school, middle school. And I mean, something that I just always share, because I think it's, you know, everybody's story is going to be different. But for me, I had no abuse in my childhood, you know, physically, sexually, whatever. Um, I had never seen porn at that age. So like a lot of the caricature ideas that like someone put this in your head or something happened to you, none of that was true for me. You know, I was just a 12 year old that had a crush on Zac Efron in high school musical. Uh, at the end <laughs> Who of did the it, day, you know? Who, did <laughs> who did it? Right. There we go. Um, so yeah, I think I was just in, in, in the same way that any kid would go through puberty and like have crushes and realize like, oh shit, I feel differently about this person at the at school. Um, you know, I was just going through that as a very innocent little kid, but it was weird because like, I really was this very innocent 12 year old kid. And then there's this narrative that like gay people are evil and an abomination and like the darkness of sin. And so trying to come to terms with that and how I saw myself was really intense because I, I didn't think that I was like this horrific, evil, dangerous person, <laughs> but I also realized that I was gay and I realized the word for it. And I knew what people around me said about gay people. And, you know, that was an intense thing for sure. Yeah. I can't imagine like the internal battle that that must've caused like growing up. I mean, I literally can't put you know myself in your shoes. Like that must've been a lot. So at what point did you kind of break away? Like, when did you decide, okay, I can't live like this. I'm going to move on. Yeah. Well, the truth is that the decision was kind of made for me at a certain point, which I wasn't happy about at the time. But basically when I was 18 years old, my dad kicked me out of the house and it was like a Tuesday night. 
And he said, you got to be out by Saturday. So figure your shit out. He didn't say shit. They would never cuss. So I just want to <laughs> clarify that they would never cuss. But this is my paraphrase with the cuss words. But he said, you know, you're going to have to figure it out. You're going to have to give us the keys. You're going to have to live somewhere else. And so I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, honest to God, I don't think there has been probably a more terrifying moment just in terms of not knowing what life was going to be like than that moment for me at 18. So that happened. Obviously, that wasn't my choice. So I, I wasn't happy about it at the time. I was like, I was just trying to skate through, at least make it to college. But here's the thing. I really feel like that ended up being the greatest gift in disguise because I look back on that world. And I mean, I literally get these messages. It was a big enough world. Like I had probably 120 people in my graduating class at their private school. I mean, I knew hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people my age in that world. And I probably get a message at least once or twice a month. Sometimes it feels like once a week from somebody who grew up in that world, who may have even stayed in it as an adult and is now trying to get out. And so I, I just had it happen the other day. A girl messaged me and she was like, thank you for speaking out about stuff like Black Lives Matter and et cetera, et cetera, and equal rights. And you're so brave. And I wish I could have the courage to say this. And so I look back and I'm like, I'm thankful, even though it was really hard at the time to restart everything. I'm thankful I got to get out and to have a restart button because I think it ultimately put me on a better trajectory long term. I can't, you know, getting kicked out at 18, like I've heard other stories, but the way that you got kicked out, like I know some people got kicked out of the house, you know, for certain things, but the way you got kicked out was a lot different. I mean, I feel like yeah. sometimes, you know, you get kicked out and you're like, oh, I could always go back. Like you couldn't, like you were right. on your own from that Saturday on. So what exactly did you do after that? Did you like go live with friend? Like how, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I remember that. So that Tuesday night I stayed up really late and I, you know, I had a summer job, but it wasn't like a ton of money. And so I remember flipping through the phone book and being like, okay, like, can I afford like an extended stay hotel? Like, what the hell am I going to do? You know what I mean? And I, I had at this point a college lined up for the fall. So it wasn't like I was trying to get an apartment and like be a, be a full-time like working adult. Cause I knew that I was, you know, I just had to make it through that summer. And so ultimately what ended up happening, I had a friend, he lived out in the middle of nowhere, like 50 minutes away and he texted me and he said, hey, my parents said you can totally live here for the summer. It's all good. And so I packed up my car and I just remember that. So that Saturday was the move out day. And I remember I had a, a Chevy silver Monte Carlo, which is like the straightest car ever. Like here I am <laughs> with a Chevy Monte Carlo. But I, I remember I drove to the this parking garage downtown Greenville because I was meeting my friend. He was getting off work after a shift. And then I was going to go to his house. And I just remember having this moment of reflection up there and not being sure, like, is this the right choice? Is this going to pay off or have I just ruined everything? And the scary thing, and I, I just want to not to get overly deep, but like, welcome to life, you know? Um, but for anyone out there who's like in a relationship, in a job, in a situation that you know is not healthy, it, it may not even be outright abusive, but it's just not good for you. And you know that you need to get out. I just want to acknowledge that it can be a really scary thing. And there were classmates of mine that said, if you leave this world, you will ruin your life. It'll be the worst decision you've ever made. And those voices were in my head. And I started to think like, what's going to happen to me? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to figure all of this out? 
And obviously looking back, you know, that I'm 28 now that happened when I was 18. So we're 10 years down the road. Thank God that all of that happened. But at the time it was really scary and unknown. And I just want to say, if anyone's listening to this and you need to be brave, you need to leave something or someone, you need to make a decision. Please, please, please know that there is a better life on the other side of it than what you can imagine right now, even if you can't fully see it yet, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's great advice. And I, we talk often about mental health on this podcast. I've, I've talked about mental health a lot because of what I went through in paradise a couple of years ago. So just trying to imagine what you were going through. I mean, the amount of strength it must have taken for you to like completely leave behind everything that you knew, like every single thing that you knew at 18 and move forward. What was going through you? I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit, I guess, but was it like, okay, I'm going to go to college, figure out then and then move on? Or like, did you have a city in mind? Did you want us to live, you know, in that state? Like, I guess mentally, what were you going through? Yeah. I mean, I I think all of that was up in flux. I think that, again, I still had this thing inside of me that was like, we got to figure out a way to help people. And the two paths that had been presented to me at that point were you can do something in in like, quote unquote, ministry world, right? In in church and religion, et cetera, or you can work in the nonprofit sphere. And so I kind of experimented with both of those. Um, I had a, I don't want to call it a phase because that's the word they always say about your sexuality. It's not a phase, uh, but I, I feel like I had a, me- talk about a phase. I had a mega church phase. So I played keys uh, at a huge mega church in the South. I won't name it where I can get messy, but I played keys for a minute. That was a, a moment. I also ran PR for a clothing company that had a whole nonprofit wing, did a lot uh, with charity, fighting sex trafficking, really important cause. So I kind of dabbled in a lot of different things. But in the midst of all of that, I'm doing my own work because I had a lot to work through. And so I I did four years of therapy. Every single year of college, I was in therapy. Um, One of the big kind of distinctions I draw of therapy versus coaching, and this is a generality, but therapy is often very good for helping you unpack the past. And coaching is often very focused on like the present and the future and where do you want to go? And so I had a lot of work to do initially with therapy because I had a whole childhood (laughs) to unpack. And so, so I did the therapy, but in the midst of that, I still had to figure out who am I, what do I believe now? And what do I want to do with my life? And that's really where coaching kicked in for me about halfway through college and and really became a tool where I realized if you have the right conversation with somebody who can support you in a powerful way, that can really move you forward. And so that was that was huge for me. But man, I had a lot to work through, as you can imagine. And I think I had read somewhere that you had met with a life coach in New York, right? Yeah, his name is Jordan Bach. And that I, at the time, I didn't know what a life coach was at all. And what's funny is I came across him on Instagram, of all things, maybe Twitter. I can never remember which one first, but I very quickly got connected on both. And it's funny because, you know, I think that social media is often viewed mostly through the negatives, right? Of like, oh, we spend so much time on there and the negative messages we receive on Instagram. But I got to tell you, like, it changed the trajectory of my life for me to come across this person on social media and start following him and then get on a call with him, have conversations with him. Like, all of that really changed the trajectory of my life. And he was the one, this is why I shout him out. He was the one that one day said to me, you know, if this was something you wanted to do, I really feel like you could do this. I really feel like you could excel at it. And this is something you should think about. So I shout out Jordan because he, 
you know, he is responsible, not fully, but he, <laughs> he is the one who gave me the idea one day on a call of, I think you could really do this. I've actually always wondered the difference between therapy and a life coach. So it's pretty cool that you already said it because that was going to be a question I asked. I even think like the whole idea of a life coach or at least like the career itself began to be respected at least just recently. Like I think now when I hear life coach, I'm like, oh, that's actually, you know, that's like a real career. That's not just like you asking your friend, you know, friends asking for your opinion. I mean, when did you first talk to, uh, was it Jordan? Did you say? Yeah, 2013, I want to say maybe 2012, but 2012, 2013, it was around the halfway mark of college. Here's the thing I tell people about coaching. It has a high bar for I messed it up. Restart the sentence. It has a low bar for entry and a high bar for success. And so what I mean by that is anybody can decide to slap on their Instagram profile that they're a life coach, right? And and so there's a lot of people that I think in all of the personal growth space, there's a lot of people that give it a bad name, you know? I'm not going to say, I I know nothing about the guy on KDC's and Carl. I know nothing about his work, never heard him speak, never met the guy. So I don't know how he is, but like the way that you can feel people perceive him is pretty common because I think that people have this sense that like, what does this even mean? And like, who are you to be doing this? And I I get all of that um, because it has a low bar for entry. The thing about it though, is it, it does have a high bar for success. And so I've now done it for about seven years, a little over seven years I've seen a lot of people come and go in that time. And if you're not really, you haven't learned how to coach, you're not a good coach, you're not really in it for the, to, you know, to use the phrase, for the right reasons, you don't really care about people, you're not going to last in the space, right? And so at the beginning, I knew people were skeptical. I knew people didn't even know what life coaching was, just like I didn't know. I knew people would be like, who is he to be doing this? But I also believe that if I kept showing up, my clients would speak for themselves. My track record would speak for itself. And I think that happened. So you're right, though. There's definitely been a a shift in perception on how people view it over the years, I think, for sure. And now there's former producers becoming life coaches, which is a whole nother discussion. Uh Don't get me started. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just leave that there. So you said about seven years ago, right? Seven years ago. Did you just put it in your bio on Instagram and then people started DMing you? Like, what did you do to get into life coach? Yeah, what was that first step after you met with Jordan? Well, first of all, before I ever got into sales and marketing and business stuff, I wanted to learn how to be the best coach that I could be. And I think the the tricky thing with coaching is like, if somebody wants to become a therapist, there's one streamlined path that like everybody goes through. This is how you get a degree. This is how you get credentialed. This is how you get whatever. Coaching is not like that. There's a lot of different ways to do it. And sure, you know, there's always the method of just slap it on a bio, which I do not recommend. So my number one priority was like, how... Fake it till you make it. But I, yeah, right, which is exactly what I disagree with. And so for me, it was like, how do I become the best coach that I can be? And so Jordan was one of the people I learned from, a guy, Joel Reedens, who was a mentor of his, uh, was somebody I learned from in the beginning. Honestly, part of my philosophy continually over the years has been, you can only take clients as deep as you've gone yourself. And so like, I still, to this day, I'll shout out my coach, Danielle Randall. I've worked with her many times throughout the years for long periods of time. And she probably knows my shit note is up in my business more than anyone else, (laughs) uh, which is her job. But I really believe that there's something to be said for learning the skills of good coaching, which takes some time and investment often, but is worth it. 
And then also like you being a product of good coaching and like, you know, part of the reason I can sit with a client in a tough moment is I'm like, listen, I know how it feels to be in a session where you don't want to look at something. You're so uncomfortable. And you're like, I hate the person on the other end. I don't want to be here. Get me out of this. Can I just end Zoom meeting right now? Like I've been there before. And I also know that when you do the work and you face your shit and you have those conversations, your life gets better on the other side. And so because I've literally not only seen that for clients, but seen that for myself over the years, there's an integrity for me to be able to say like, I'm going to stay in this conversation with you. And we're going to look at the thing that's uncomfortable to look at because I promise you it's going to be better on the other side. So probably from 2013 to like 2015, my priorities were learning how to coach, reading, studying, seminars, everything that I possibly could, and also doing a shit ton of practice sessions. I'm cussing so much today. Once you tell me I can cuss, (laughs) it's like, this is very different than the last time I was here and I I did not cuss. Um, But anyway, so, so I did a ton of practice sessions. And that's another thing is like, now I'm at a point where obviously like I'm not cheap and I often have a wait list and I charge a lot, but I didn't start there. I started with like, how many sessions can I do to get better at coaching and get better at coaching and get better at coaching? And so like, I remember my first session I ever did as a practice, it was this girl on my campus and she had something specific she wanted to work through. And I was like, okay, great. This is going to be a great first session. And so the only time that she was free, she was like, I'm so busy, but I'm always up late. Can we do like something late? And I was like, okay, I'm working the front desk as an RA, like come by, we'll do it at 1am. So we do this 1am session and I'm like writing stuff on the marker board and she's crying. It's this really intense thing. Um, But it was really rewarding because I remember, I will never forget the day when that girl stopped by like a month later and she was like, you know, everything we talked about, like I've been practicing, I've been working with, I've been implementing and I really have shifted this thing without going into all the details. And those moments were very rewarding to me. And some of those early sessions, I mean, I remember probably my second or third practice session was this guy who they had decided to open up their relationship. And as as it often is, it was supposed to be physically open, but not emotionally, but then it got emotionally messy. Mm -hmm. And so I remember (laughs) being in that one being like, oh gosh, like use your tools, (laughs) use your skills. I don't know what we got into here. Uh, What have I done? (laughs) Right. But by this point, it's like, you know, all of these sessions, all of these years later, at this point, I feel like there's nothing I haven't heard. And so it's hard to shock me. I have a very good, like, you can tell me whatever. I will sit here. I will be okay. Challenge accepted, man. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Should we get into a session right now? (laughs) No, no, no. That's not podcast friendly. (laughs) I guarantee you that. Eric, do you have something or do you think Blake has something he needs to get off his chest right now? I'm sure we both do. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so intriguing to me because that's the one I see. I probably have a ton of issues, but I've never seeked counseling or anything. And I probably should. I think Mm. you would be therapy would do you wonders, I think. And then, like he said, and then get into you saying here, life's like. coaching show we've had moments where we've talked and i know therapy would be great for you we've had moments oh for sure yeah <laughs> i'm a fucking disaster <laughs> <laughs> i'm so intrigued by the idea of a life coach because mm-hmm. i i mean i didn't really even like i said like maybe it was just me but recent until like the last maybe three or four years five years i didn't really think of it like as a legit career so it's intriguing to me so and it, honestly you make me want to get a life coach like maybe that's what i'm missing from my life as a life Wait, coach we just made this happen I know, right? I'm gonna. I'm probably on the back of the wait list, though. You know, <laughs> send send him an invoice right after this for his first three. <laughs> can we can we get a bundle deal for him? Bundle for Blake. 
<laughs> yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Promo code bundle for Blake. And if you're listening to this, you're now going to be tracked with Cookies Online, where you'll get a pop-up just on every website you visit. Go ahead, go ahead. We'll be right back. Yeah, because I'm intrigued too, because looking at your link tree, there's like several different tiers and workshops that you do as well. It's not just life coaching. It's like money flow, worthiness workshop. There's different things that you touch. Yeah, and I think it's those were born out of like what I felt like I had to most learn, but also what I ended up teaching the most, what I ended up helping people the most. You know, I'll use the worthiness thing as an example. I remember one day, and this is literally a story I share in that. One day I was in a a spin class with Angela Davis. By the way, Angela Davis, if you're ever in New York or LA and you have the chance to take her, it is incredible. I mean, she has a whole list of clientele, like Carrie Washington, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, et cetera, et cetera. She's phenomenal. You will cry. It is church on a bike. I'm not sponsored. I'm just, I'm not sponsored. I've given Angela fucking thousands over the years, but you got to take Angela Davis. But anyway, I was in Angela's class and I remember one day in a class, she said, I want you to realize we only receive what we believe we are worthy of. And, and she was like, you've got to, it's not enough to be worthy. You've got to believe that you're worthy. You've got to know that you're worthy. And I, that fucked me up. And I remember I sat with that quote and I thought about it for weeks because again, remember the seed has been planted all throughout my life that like what you believe shapes your entire life. And I started to realize there's a lot of people who are worthy of things and deserving of things and capable of things but they don't believe it. And so they never even give themselves a chance with it. And that was like a huge turning point moment for me. And I've, I've seen so many times over the years, people not like people wanting something, but they also don't believe they can have it, which is a really painful place to be right. Or they want it, but they, they believe it's going to ruin their life. They want it, but they don't believe they're worthy of it. And so the best they ever give it is like a half-assed effort. And that's why I'm not the kind of coach that's like, you know, did you wake up at 5 a.m.? What do you mean you didn't do your checklist today? Like, I'm going to yell at you until you change. <laughs> that's not my style. My style is like, let's really look at what's going on inside of you. Because often when we want something and we're not fully getting it yet, there's, there's a reason for that. There's an explanation. There's something deeper going on. And that's where I think it gets really juicy. That's the stuff that I, I love to look at. And by the way, let me just say, I'm happy to be the poster child for like, I got a boatload of childhood trauma and I had to work through it. But I will also say about therapy and coaching, a lot of my clients who come to me are very, very, very successful. Like I I remember one time I coached a guy and I'm trying to think of how I want to word this to be as vague as possible. Cause you know, Reddit, they'll find out anything. Oh, and he'll figure but, it out. <laughs> there, he, he, this is what I'll say. It's the CEO of a major food brand. I'll, I won't get any more specific than that. Now that guy makes way more money than me. That guy is older than me. That guy has achieved way more than me by any spectrum. Right. But here's the thing. Even somebody like that will seek out a coach because they know they still have work to do and they still value a third person that can tell them the truth that nobody else is telling them and and really help them be at their best. And so I just want to say for anyone who's like, I've kind of considered therapy, I've kind of considered coaching. 
there needs to be no shame or like weirdness about this at all. We are not in 1993. A, we all know that we have work to do on ourselves and B, even the best people in the world want to be at their best. And so I really hope that that frees people to feel like you don't have to have some disorder or dysfunction to say, I want to talk to somebody. I talk to someone because I know that I have blind spots and I can't see what I can't see. And I've lost a lot of money. I've burned bridges. I've hurt relationships. I've held myself back. I've limited my success in the past where I was sabotaging myself and I didn't even see it. So it's very worth it to me to not do that. And that doesn't mean anything's wrong with me. I think that's smart. Sometimes I think people think you need a life coach because you're fucked up, but that's not necessarily the case. Like, but I like the word you just used, blind spot. Everybody has blind spots that they don't see or problems that they don't see. And even the most successful people, if actually, honestly, I think, successful people often have a life coach and that breeds success. Like I think a life coach honestly breeds success. So it's kind of interesting to see out of curiosity. Again, when you start with a new client, do you have like an ending point? Is it like, okay, two months or is it like, like how long do like life coaches, like how long, what's your longest client right now? Yeah. Okay. So this is just for me. In other words, every coach could have a different answer. I tend to work with people in six month increments. And so one of the things that that does that just from a coaching perspective, from a business owner perspective, I like when someone decides to work with me, like you trust me, you really want to do this and we're going on this journey together. And so people don't come to me in the same way because often, and I get it, like nobody should have to suffer through a bad therapist or a bad coach, but we know this from like internal business data Usually when someone hires me, they followed me and been in my orbit online for a minimum of two years. So I don't tend to have people that like you found me 20 minutes ago and now you're trying to become a client. People will watch, they will learn, they will like pay attention quietly for years. And then when their moment is right, when they're ready, they'll be like, Hey, I think I want to do this. So I don't have people saying like, I want to do one session and like, see if I make a million dollars right after Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I don't have the mindset of like, well, I don't feel like everything was healed in this one call. So I'm out, you know, because they know that it's like, this is a six month commitment. And then beyond that, we give people retainer options and they can stay. Honestly, my longest client currently has been with me since 2016 and just keeps reaching new heights, accomplishing more, making more money. And she's like, when something works, keep doing what's working. And I love her and I'm happy to have her. Um, I have another client who's been with me since 2017, going strong. So I I love long-term client relationships. And again, that goes back to like, I knew that if I could become a really good coach, I wouldn't have to constantly be chasing new, 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 new people Mm. because I, I burned bridges with everyone else that I disappointed. And so I'm very strong on like the client front, referrals, all of that is my jam. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think having a client as long as those two clients, as long as you have, says a lot about the way you coach too. Like, I feel like they haven't reached that point where they're like, okay, can't get anything else out of them. You know, like that kind of, they haven't reached that. So that says a lot about what you do, yeah. And to me, like, that's why it's important that I always keep doing my work. And like, there's not a single year that I don't pour a ton of time and money and energy into How can I do my own work? How can I reach new heights myself? So I'm always going first in my own journey and growth. 
And how can I become better at coaching? And I'm always trying to add tools to the toolbox. I'm always trying to become a better coach in any way that I can be. And so my coaching is better now than it was in 2016. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have hired me in 2016. You should have when it was cheaper. But (laughs) nonetheless, I'm not the same coach I was in 2016. And honestly, you know, 2025, I'm going to be even better. So I'm always going to try to stay on that um, trajectory. It's great, man. I, I could honestly talk to you all day, but I feel like I'd have to start paying you. <laughs> I'd have to start put me on retainer here. <laughs> so I got one final. Do you have any more questions for me? Because I got one final question. Go for it. All right. So this is kind of a hard question, a loaded question. But if you had to give like one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be for somebody who's... I, I, I want to like break it down into like the boxes that you kind of just talked about. Let's say like, what's your one piece of advice for... Can we walk through a couple boxes so I don't have to choose one? Okay, we'll walk through a couple <laughs> boxes. Okay, let's say worthiness. Like if... Because I think that is right now... It is an epidemic right now. I think people have become less and less worthy with it, whether it be from social media, whether it be from being in quarantine. Like I think people think less of themselves because of certain things right now in this world. So what would be like your one piece of advice for somebody who's not feeling worthy? Okay. Um, I think the biggest thing here is find the core belief that you have of why you're not worthy and heal it. And that's going to look different for everybody there are people who the biggest reason they believe they're not worthy is because they were taught a very like scarcity mindset of if I win, somebody else is losing. And so they, they don't want to like be too successful or too happy or doing too well in life because that means someone else has to suffer. And that's not true. That's not how life works. You know, I can confidently say like, because I've let myself be successful, my family's lives are better. My team's lives are better. My clients' lives are better. My, everybody got to benefit connected to me because of the way that I try to, to live in success. But so that could be it for people. Some people have had it drilled into their head by religion that at the core, they are dirty and rotten and evil. And so how could you be worthy of anything good if you see yourself as dirty, rotten, or evil? That's a big one. Some people, it's because of abuse or trauma that they went through, whatever it is. Find the core reason that you believe you're not worthy slash you don't get to have what you want and do what you need to do to change that belief because that will change everything. That's great advice. I'm going to start paying you. Um, One last one, because sometimes often I feel this way. What would be like a piece of advice for somebody who feels stuck, for somebody who feels like they're treading water in life? Yeah. So... Stuck can be a lot of different things, but I'm going to go with what I think is one of the most common versions of stuck, especially what I've heard from people last year and a half. And I think often the anecdote to stuck is connecting to your desire and making sure that you're moving forward with it in some way. So I think there's two variations of this. Some people know what they want but nothing is moving forward in it. And so that's why they feel stuck. And that's a very frustrating experience. And so, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a vague example that I don't think will hit the nail on the head. Let's say you wanted to be a professional golfer. I don't think that's accurate. Is that accurate? Well, I mean, I'd love to be, but yeah, it's not going to happen. I don't want to hit too, too much the nail on no, the head here. Um, but okay, so, so let's say that was it, right? But let's say that, you know, you haven't been on a golf course in three months and you've kind of given up on it, but you're still, you still want it on some level and you're sad about it. Okay. So that's definitely going to feel stuck and that's definitely going to feel shitty. And if you're that person and you know what you want and nothing's moving forward with it, I would challenge you to get clear on, okay, 
what is the most important thing to me? If I had to clear everything else off the list, I can only pick one. What is the one thing I want the most? And then once you've identified that, what can I do to get this in motion in some way? Even if I feel like it's going to be a process, it's going to take time, it's going to be hard. What can I do to re-engage with this? So like in LA, people who want to be actors disconnect from that dream, right? And often it's like, can you start going back out to auditions or can you get yourself in an acting class? Can you start making some self tapes and submitting them? Like, how can you re-engage with the dream? Because even if you don't create it overnight, I think that often moves people out of stuck to feel like they're in motion with their dream. So that's one. The other variation of this is some people feel stuck because they are so separated from their desires. They don't even know what they want. And if that's you, I would challenge you to give yourself some space and really like you may have to take a vacation to do this. You may have to put the cell phone inside and like go sit on the porch and light some candles and just relax. Whatever you need to do, give yourself some space to re-engage with what do I want? What is trying to come through me right now? If I could change anything about my life, I love this question. If I could wave a magic wand over my life and change anything, what would I change? That will give you a lot of self-awareness about what you want and don't want and where you're tolerating stuff. And so for a lot of people, you just have to give yourself the space to let the desires bubble up. Because I promise you, they are there. You do have desires. You do have dreams. You just might not have listened to them for so long that now they're way buried underneath the surface. So that's the other, you know, I think common remedy to stuck is sometimes we just got to give ourselves the space to really check in and see what we want and let that start talking to us again. That's really great, man. This has been an awesome podcast. One of my favorite ones we've done, to be honest. So I'm going to have to re-listen to this and take notes as I'm listening. Uh, listen, I have enjoyed I've enjoyed your questions. I always tell people, sometimes you do interviews as like a coach and they're very formulaic and they're like, I've heard you get asked this before, so I'm going to ask it now. Or like, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm, it's just, mm-hmm. it's the same beats every time. I love when people are like, let me just dive in and ask what I'm naturally curious about, what I really want to know. Those are the best interviews. So thank you for being good hosts. No, it was really great. Cause I did have a lot of, as I was going along with this interview, I'm like, Oh wait, what about this? What about this? So is it okay to give out your information if other people have questions? <laughs> because I feel like yes. you might get bombarded with questions. So where can people find you, man? Yeah. I mean, I think Instagram is the easiest, like one-stop shop. So come say hi, Dr. Lovegrove, D-R-L-O-V-E-G-R-O-V-E. Yeah. I can't promise an immediate response, but uh, happy to try to answer whatever questions I can. Yeah. So, yeah. and I feel like there's like, I tell people this all the time. If somebody comes to me in my DMs normally and says, I want to learn more about coaching, I will literally send them a couple of podcasts I've done that I love where I feel like we hit it from different angles. And like, here we talk about daily routine. Here we talk about like God trauma stuff. Here we talk about whatever. And so I I feel like if you want to dive into like, what is coaching all about? What is this work all about? Like, there's a ton of episodes I can send your way, search on iTunes, go to my media page, whatever you need to do. But there's a ton of stuff you can listen to if you just want to dive in more for anyone out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people, I know I'm more interested now, so I'm sure a lot of listeners will be too. So go check him out on Instagram at Dr. Lovegrove and uh, yeah, he'll try to get back to you as quickly as possible. But yeah, man, thanks again for coming on. This has been fantastic. Uh, and we'd love to have you on in down the line for some more recaps because you were great. So at some point I'm sure. 
And hopefully we'll meet you. We'll meet you at some point out down there. Right. Yeah. San Diego, yeah. whether blended or not, it's got to be <laughs> San Diego at this point. You know, you all are in Denver though, right? Yeah. We're in Denver, but we're going to come out to San Diego for Blended Fest. And we're the original capital of Bachelor Nation, though. Yeah, we're old news <laughs> now. Now it's San Diego and New York. Why is that? Is there a reason that like casting's not pulling from Denver or people are not moving from Denver? Like, what's the what's the deal? There hasn't been anyone on the last couple right. seasons from Denver, mm-hmm. actually, huh, and, right? I don't know. I think. I think it just, they move. This guy fucked it up right there. <laughs> they don't want no more Colorado no. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, listen, no probably you, the opposite. <laughs> I was going to say, you made great television yeah. for them. Maybe against <laughs> your will, but you made great television. They have yeah, no exactly. right to complain about Blake on television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know why. I think it was like Nashville, Colorado. Now it's more like New York, San Diego. It'll just change. No, it was Chicago at one point. Like, it just kind of is. The thing is, though, the, the casting is now perpetual it because I'm pretty sure Katie season had eight or nine guys from San Diego. Yes. Then you add like two from Orange County. Like when you start adding it up, it's like, of course, this is going to be where people hang out. Mm-hmm. This, like draw the map. This is the mm-hmm. radius. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, so it's going to be interesting to see where, where things go, but maybe we can give Denver some love. Yeah. Yeah. Give some Denver some casting crew. Yeah. No shit. But anyway, yeah. Thanks man. Um, and yeah, we'll see you in San Diego. If we come before, I'll definitely hit you up. So if we come before blended fest, but or Kygo, listen, I'm always up for Kygo. I okay. feel like the year before the pandemic, I saw him like four times at random things. So if you're ever in Vegas for Kygo, et cetera, uh, you know, we'll link up, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a time to hang out for sure, man. So appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Behind the Rose is recorded live at the world famous Grizzly Rose or wherever we happen to be. Be sure to go check out our Instagram at Behind the Rose Podcast and follow us so you always know when we drop a new episode and give us all five of those stars. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Behind the Rose.